It's the most all-star studded challenge ever. And this time, it's every competitor for themselves. Best challenge ever! The Challenge All-Stars. New season now streaming on Paramount+. Plus. Go to ParamountPlus.com to try it free. Terms apply. Everything is coming up, Connor. It's the State of Combat podcast on CBS Sports with your boy, the Brian Campbell. Back with a bang, back with that needle ready for injection with the one and only performance enhancing audio. 246 in the damn books. That doesn't mean the conversation is over. The king is back. The king is back. Wow. We got a lot to talk about today. Uh, we got a previews of this weekend's action, including a very, very loaded Bellator card as Chris Cyborg makes her debut, among others, among Rashad's boy Adam Boric. So we will get into that. Our boy BW Brandon Wise taking another bye week this week. But you know, I got to tag in that Hall of Famer, that earthquake survivor, one of the only men over 40 who could produce washboard abs. Put it on him, indeed. I want you to put it on me. I want you to try to do your best to put it on me. He's the Hall of Famer, Sugar Rashad Evans, my man. What's going on, BC? The introductions get better and better every time you do it, I swear. I love it. I love it. I got to ask you a question whether you're feeling right now what I'm feeling. Let's let Jake Hager describe it. You know what? I'm rock hard right now with emotion. I got a phoner. Rashad, I got an MMA phoner over Conor McGregor being back. And that's not necessarily sitting in the seat of Conor McGregor fanboy, just from the standpoint of, we all admit, this guy brings the attention and the excitement, and it's back, Broham. It is, man. That that was unbelievable, to be honest, man. I've been in the sport for a long time, and I've never seen anybody do it quite like Conor McGregor, man. He, he does something special out there. And uh, to see the way he went out there and just completely dismantled Donald Cerrone, uh, I mean, holds all the records in the UFC pretty much, Donald Cerrone does. And the way that Conor made short work of him, that right there is the stuff that legacy is made of. It was. And, you know, it it was the 40 seconds is the real like debate point. And we got into this to a certain degree on the instant analysis podcast late Saturday, but we're. Excited to hear your thoughts, Rashad. You can only learn so much in 40 seconds. Yet, from a marketing standpoint, from a pay-per-view sales standpoint moving forward, UFC could not have asked for anything more for an infomercial to the idea that, hey, the last three years with all the bad headlines and that really bad loss to Habib, forget it. Like, it never happened. Well, I mean, he he came out and he did exactly what he said he was going to do. You know, he stayed focused all the way through. He stayed composed. You know, he, he was the perfect gentleman all the way through. And, you know, you, you, you almost looked for something to go wrong because everything was going so right. And uh, he went out there and, and, you know, put those thoughts to rest quickly that I had and, and went out there and just completely com- performed at a level that I didn't even – think that he had and that, and that's the thing about Connor is the fact that when you think he's at one level he then shows you another wrinkle and another level I didn't think that he had 
how trans, you know, that, that was able to translate so well at 170. It was amazing. It, it truly was. On a scale of, uh, of one to a phoner, Rashad, one to ten here, uh, how excited are you at what Connor can do for MMA, for UFC, for us getting pumped up on this show in 2020? I'm excited because, you know, um, what he showed in that fight is the fact that he is every bit of dialed in, as he says, and, not, and that there's another level that he can hit. And it also showed that, you know, maybe there is more that he could offer to a hubby rematch, you know, because the oh. way he went out there and, and he fought and his proficiency in just the 40 seconds, it, it showed that he's been doing something besides just acting a fool during those three <laughs> during his time off. <laughs> please, please, please. I love this debate. Send me the damn location. If you want to find me, please. Just send me location. We may have to call in Brandon Wise, notorious Connor hater, I think, these days, who will, who will fight us on this. But, Rashad, I actually could not agree more. And to believe that, to believe that Connor's A, back, B, I don't want to say better than ever, but, but the best he could be at 31, and a lot of that is mental in my case, not necessarily physical or strategic, I think you have to subscribe then to some of the theories we talked about last week, specifically from Connor doing that Ariel Hawani interview on ESPN, where he admitted, admitted the heavy drinking, talked to the, the camp ahead of Habib as being a nightmare, not listening to anybody, being a, you know, a, a hard-headed guy who can do what he wants, maybe alluding to even more than drinking if you listen to those words carefully and you understand how life works. Um, I subscribe to that. I'm again. Look, Habib's always going to be the worst style matchup for him. But even this morning, I went back and watched that UFC 229 main event. I don't think it's the same exact guy. And I think when you're competing at the very, very elite level, and you are not 100% there and doing all the damn little things to prepare yourself physically, emotionally, spiritually, like everything, you can't be the same exact guy. So anyone listening to this going, come on, Campbell, 40 seconds against Wash Cowboy? Maybe, but it's not about Cowboy to me. It's about what Connor sounded, looked like, smelt like. It's a beautiful aroma that arouses me. All of that, Rashad. Yeah, I, told, I totally agree. And, and I think these three things that I, I look for, you know, that I've seen in Connor, you know, he was, you know, um, for one, his size, you know, for, for one, his size was a big difference, and it translated well with power. Uh, and just overall, you know, he looked very brolic and very confident with that size. You know, another thing is the mental, the mental preparation. You know, being 31 years old and experiencing what he has experienced, it is, it, it has grown him, it has made him grow and mature. And um, that translation goes so far, you know, along the way, you know, with with all his physical attributes as well, too. And and then a third thing is the fact that. You know, um, he's he's uh, he's believing in himself again, you know, and that belief is a belief that we we've come to know and a belief that we've come to love about Conor McGregor. And and you didn't see, you know, any kind of, uh, you know, any kind of um, falter in any of those three dimensions that I just na managed uh, named because of the fact that, you know, he's so dialed in. And it's just exciting to me to see. Who's next and what is next for oh, a guy like this? I can't wait to get into that discussion 
Wow. This is number one bullshit. Yeah, you never know, Habib. Uh, we're going to get to that shortly. Obviously, everyone knows uh, the world of sports goes beyond mixed martial arts. UFC hot right now, 246 in the in the rear view. Some big cards to come. But Rashad, also in the sport of golf. We're heating up here at CBS Sports, mm. specifically our brethren on the first cut podcast. The PGA Tour returns to CBS for the 2020 Farmers Insurance Open. And you better believe the first cut podcast is your destination for all things Tiger Woods 2020 season debut. Tiger, we lost Solomon at the President's Cup, right? Where he led the U.S. team to victory as the playing captain. He's an eight-time winner at Torrey Pines with his most memorable victory coming at the 2008 U.S. Open. He can get handsy. That's just my editorial right there. But Tuesday's Torrey Pines DFS and betting preview with DFS guru Rick Gaiman, Greg Ducharme. You got to check that out on the First Cut podcast to get you all kinds of ready from a betting side on who's going to come out on top. Of course, they'll have full analysis later in this week, Friday, recapping the first two rounds with Mark Immelman, who was on the scene at Torrey Pines. And Sunday, of course, full reaction podcast covering everything from the Farmers Insurance Open, the first cut. On the road this week at the PGA Merchandise Show with Kyle Porter and Mark Immelman. Plenty of interviews from Orlando. They got you covered on the links, folks, just like we do in the damn cage. Rashad, are you a believer in Tiger Woods in 2020? I'm a believer in Tiger. Tiger Woods, y'all. Tiger, Tiger Woods, y'all. Um, I'd love to see his DMs. That's just, again, <laughs> that's, just, that's just me talking. All right, there. Uh, hey, we're going to find out what is next for, for Connor, what could be next, what should be next. And you better believe we're going to do all that right after we pause for the cause and a word from our friends and sponsors. Dig it. New CBS Sunday. You collect rewards, right? This is how I make my living. When something is lost, everyone's looking for something. He finds it. You strong swimmer? So-so. So-so. So-so's okay. Justin Hartley stars. How you survive, you make quick, smart decisions. You never let panic take the wheel. Sounds cool. It is cool, actually. Very cool. Tracker. New Sunday on CBS and streaming on Paramount+. Plus. Paramount Plus and the National Park Foundation present A Mountain of Zen. This Earth Week, you can live stream seven national parks for seven days on Paramount Plus. Paramount Plus, official streaming partner of the National Park Foundation. And we're back, your boy BC, Sugar Rashad, no, not Ryan Bader. It's Sugar Rashad Evans. Well, guess what? Yeah, I'm not Ryan Bader. My word, I'm not I'm Ryan Bader. Bader. He's definitely not Ryan Bader. Uh, Rashad Evans, Connor getting this 42nd victory 40 seconds is the victory not his 42nd uh over cowboy serrano ufc 246 he's back he's back i feel like again i'm not gonna sit here and say that in the 40 seconds right he answered the questions of can he wrestle as a welterweight does he still have elite you know does he has he fixed the elite stamina issue has he blah 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 all that but that the the brief nature and the explosive nature of the 40 seconds really, especially to the casual fans, elevates the belief that he's actually better than ever, better than any other form of an infomercial could have done. So with that in mind, Rashad, I feel like UFC is at a point as they hit the negotiation table, as they sort of wait to see some other fights play out and decide what is next for Connor, where they might have more options right now 
than one fighter has ever had where it's not just like, okay, we, we definitely know this fight will bring us a lot of money. It's literally like there's like six or seven fights that can right. push the idea of like if this is promoted right, we could do two million buys on pay-per-view. Um, and the fact that it's across two different divisions and the damn BMF, if you throw in that for a third division, damn. Like, you got to come at this if you're UFC, Rashad, with the drafting tools, with, like, all, you know, all hands on deck to try to figure out because it's not just what could make us the most money. In some ways, it's what could keep Connor on the up and up and keep winning. Well, I mean, yeah. I mean, before we were, we were more or less speaking of Connor being a novelty guy, you know, and that's if, you know, he he, he didn't make win this fight or whatever the case may be. We didn't know what his trajectory was going to be after this fight was going to be. But... With this win, not only did it solidify, you know, his his uh, his standing as far as being that cash cow, but it also put him in a place to say, you know what, this guy is a worthy contender. This guy deserves to be in an upper echelon competing against the guys who are number one, number two in the weight class because he he's that good. You know, he answered a lot of a lot, a lot of questions. You know, his power is back. He talked about how he went back to his old boxing club and how they got him right in his power. And you've seen that. You know, his ingenuity is, is on point. You know, when he's in there, who's ever seen anybody get dazed by shoulder strikes like that? It was something, you know, conceptually, uh, you know, uh, new in a sense that they were they, uh, an, an effectiveness. You know, we have we've seen him use, but not to the extent of the effectiveness that he used him against Cowboy. So he bring he's bringing in new wrinkles, and he's showing that he can compete uh, not only as that big fighter who can bring in a lot of attention, but he's actually that dude. That's the thing. You're right. It's not just well, do we go Nate because it'll sell a lot and it doesn't change much if he lose. You know, it's, it's, there's a lot of interesting debates. He is a legitimate title contender for three different belts right now. So it comes down to what's next. I have a piece on CBSSports.com this week. I encourage you to check out that a great detail breaks down the pros and cons of each potential Connor opponent. And Rashad, I think I'm correct, and you can give me your take. The le- the clubhouse leaders for what and who is next for Connor has to be either Jorge Masvidal or the winner of Habib Tony, but really specifically Habib in that conversation. Do you believe anyone else is on that same playing field in terms of who we could see Connor against next? Ah oh, man, you know, um, no, I, I guess I guess it'd be those two. It, I mean, I can I can throw in a a Justin Gaethje or, or Dustin Poirier fight. That may be something that will would interest Connor, and it would be definitely something that would you know, get a lot of uh, attention too as well. And, um, you know, both of those fights, uh, as I was, as I thought before, you know, they would be a risk for Connor and not that they won't be a risk, but I think that, you know, it's, it's a, it's a, a manageable risk for, for a guy like Connor, the way I seen him go out there and perform, you know, he, he, as I thought before, I didn't think he'd be able to to hold the candle to these guys just because of the time off and the fact that, you know, these guys are dealing with a different different uh, power than he is. But, you know, he, he went out there and answered all the questions. And, and to be honest, it, it's whatever he puts his mind to, I, I I find it hard to believe that he can't do it. I'm I'm with you in that regard. So when you look at what's next, I think he may I don't want to say he may have overplayed his hand. Here's how I'm going to explain that. We didn't know what it was going to look like. We have to remember this, right? We didn't know what it was going to look like against Cowboy. Even if he had won 
a decision in which he had some, you know, moments of getting rocked or appearing to be gassed out. I mean, there were ways he could have won this fight, but you're still not going to come out of there saying, oh, yeah, sure, bring on Jorge or Habib. Who's next? I feel like personally, Rashad, that the quick nature of how he won and how that, like I mentioned, infomercial has a way of sort of raising his brand value and fooling people into belief if it's not already true that he's ready for anyone. I don't think you can go now to the stay busy level. I don't think he can fight Justin Gage because I don't think the potential risk is worth it when there's not a title at stake. I think he's in such a prime marketing moment right now when you consider the rumors. Dave Meltzer of the uh, MMA fighting and also of the Wrestling Observer just reported that although the metrics of how they count pay-per-view buys are different in the ESPN Plus era, He's reporting that this fight did the level of what 2 million buys used to do. Rashad, mm. that's friggin' massive. That's crazy. That's we, crazy. we know the record is 2.4 million, Habib Connor. We know Connor versus Nate 1 and 2 are in the top three between that 1.3 million and 1.6 million area. UFC obviously never gives official details, so it's all sort of speculative. I mean, Rashad, you got to believe that Connor fight against Habib, I mean, against Cowboy just completely overachieved. Yeah, it definitely did. And, um, you know, I kind of got the feeling that that was going to happen just to lead up to it and everyone was getting excited. But, you know, as you said, the, the atmosphere was different in Vegas and it was maybe because people were still kind of like wondering what kind of Connor that we're going to have. But I think after that fight, all the questions were answered. And and here's the thing to, to what you were saying. Um, we, we you The UFC can sideline Connor and wait for that perfect matchup, but then you run the risk of what Connor's been running against and that's been against himself. You know, when, when he has True. that much time off, then that's when things start to, to, to go. You know, that's when things start to, you know, get a little hairy for him. So I think the busier you can keep this guy, the, the more you're going to be able to get out of him, the more he's going to be able to pursue or actually do what he says he's going to do. Um, that's important, Rashad. That's very important. And I think it played into why Connor had been talking all fight week like, hey, I'll come back in March if I get through this un unfazed, unscathed. Well, he certainly did. But here's what I want to ask you, because to me, the fight, I actually agree with Dana White here. The fight to make is Habib, meaning this is the only fight that has that potential, I think. Look, Masvidal would do massive numbers, but to me, it's a one-night, one-off massive number. I think Habib fight, look, I'm drinking the juice on what Dana said post-Saturday night. I, I think he's dead on. This is the potential for the Ali Frazier-type historical feud and rivalry of, of this sport and this brand. And this is the only fight that could reach that 3 million pay-per-view threshold if they so wanted to. Of course, they want to because of the... Nation versus nation, anger, hero versus villain, style versus style, uh, soap opera element and all that. And I think just that potential that Connor might be able to win that and produce a third one or just could lose it in a way that doesn't damage him. If he goes out there and gets out wrestled and choked again, you're sort of like, OK, that's just always a horrible, uh, you know, style matchup match for him. And by the way, Habib might be the best ever. That's the conversation you're going to get out of that. But to get to that fight happening, Habib's got to beat Tony in April. He's got to stay healthy, which historically doesn't happen. Habib's fought seven times in six years. That's not a good percentage there. And they would have to push that past Ramadan to the summer. You'd probably be circling August. Sure, if you throw the carrot of that new Raiders NFL football stadium, to me, 
it gives Connor many a millions of reasons to wait. But is that too much of a risk to not only wait to August, but to wait to mid-April before you decide what's next for Connor by watching well, the Tony fight first? And and that's and that's the exact thing that, that I'm talking about here because you said August, but I'm I'm thinking September because if if, if Ramadan's in June, he can't train all June, then he's not gonna want to take a fight until at least September like he did last time where he feels really, really comfortable. Um, so that's a long time for a guy like Connor to sit out, especially being as hot as he is right now, you know? And um, who knows what can happen leading up to April. You know, Connor seems to be convinced that something's going to happen and something's going to fall through where he's going to get the opportunity. But providing that something does not happen, Connor needs to stay busy in that time span. Connor needs something in that time span. So I think that, you know, uh, um, entertaining a, a, a another another fight will probably be the best for him as an athlete not i'm not talking about the promotion and what and what does but as an athlete to stay where he is at and where he's actually best at he's got to stay active so you're talking not certainly not a stay busy look the co- the cowboy fight was a celebrity get well fight right. a celebrity stay busy there's no longer stay busy just engaged G is nobody's stay busy fight that's a very dangerous fight even though i have personal beliefs that that's a really bad style matchup due to the speed difference for for Gage G but are you talking more than more about a Gage G style fight a, like you said a Poirier style fight that it's worth running that risk so you keep him fresh because to me Rashad when you're debating the idea of Habib versus Jorge as a fight I just think the Habib fight matters so much more. There's a real title at stake. The potential for Connor to just launch his legacy to the next level with a win is massive. Even though it feels like 70% of the MMA fandom world right now is like, make the damn Jorge fight. It could do massive numbers. It'd be a slugfest. It'd be all that. I don't think there's enough upside outside of money for Connor. And if we're establishing that Connor's going to make stupid money, I mean, just did 2 million buys with Cowboy. He can make stupid money with anybody. I don't know, man. I think the potential of a knockout loss to Jorge is way more damaging than anything Habib could do to him in terms of market value that I just don't even think in the UFC war room, Jorge's an option at the moment. Yeah, I I think, um, but here's the thing about that. I think that Jorge and being in a situation like a BMF belt almost gives it that whatever happens, happens type of feel to it. Meaning the fact that it's not going to score so big on where they finally go and who they get matched up against. Because, I mean, you know, if if Habib, the fight actually happens in April and we talk about uh, Habib taking that time off that he's going to need uh, with Ramadan and everything, you know, that's September. So... You know, until now, early part of this year, until now, you know, like I said, um, if there's something for Connor to focus on or have something, then then I think that's probably the best move for him. Um, he, he doesn't need to stay busy like a fighter who's fighting to prove themselves. He needs to stay busy as as a way of staying focused and staying on the path, you know, because with so many uh with the way his life is and, and you know it's full octane and moving you know a million miles per second the only time that slows down is when he's in fight camp and he needs to have a little slow down a little bit because that's when he gets in trouble when life is moving too fast for him and when he has to make those kind of decisions when you know when life is too good and everybody's saying yes to him and especially coming off of a a, a win like that having the hype from Right now, all the way until whenever he fights again, 
maybe too intoxicating once again for him, and he find himself back into another scandalous situation. It's true. Oh God, I mean, I went back and looked at the timeline of the Connor arrests over the three years, and not, and not just the arrests. Remember the times he's showing up at fights and he's getting kicked out at the UFC fight from from cheerleading on the sidelines. Then he jumps in the Bellator cage. He's pushing people. I mean, this was not a sane man right. during that stretch. People need to wake up and realize it. This guy did not have everything together. You're right. Keeping him active would be key. So if their goal is Habib, and look, Dana does not waver. You never hear Dana going, well, maybe Jorge, let's let's get, you know, <laughs> Dana's just like, hell no. Um, I think then you could actually accomplish a lot by giving him Justin Gaethje, because in theory, a lot of people are upset how Connor as a superstar in the deepest division in history could be given the number one contender spot after beating a faded guy in a welterweight right. bout. And that's obviously valid, only UFC matchmaking doesn't work that way historically. You make him go fight the guy who's arguably most deserving of having next for a lightweight title shot after Tony Ferguson, who's Justin. That does accomplish a lot. It'd move a ton of product. There's a legitimate factor that Connor could lose that. I think it's a fight he, he should win. And it would keep him active and in line at 155 pounds for Habib next or, or hell yeah for Tony next if Tony wins I mean it's all it's all in, in line with the idea of Connor wanting to get his belt back but I want to counter you with this because there are different kinds of of stay busy fights you got the Justin one to stay in line for a title shot but mm -hmm. then you got celebrity stay busy fights what about a third Nate fight what are the pros and cons of staying busy by cashing in that lottery ticket that's been sitting there for a few years now i think that's a good way to stay busy and i think it is against an opponent that he's familiar with it's one that he knows how to fight and and um you know nate's always going to be dangerous nate's always going to be you know one of his his toughest tasks but i think we've seen it twice that that they actually bring out the best in each other you know and i think that um people will be able to see connor tested once again and, and really get a beat on how, you know, how he would really fare and go in five rounds because last I'm not saying, you know, last time they went, it went five rounds. And you got to see a different side of Connor that you didn't get to see. You got to see Connor, you know, persevere through his conditioning problems that people thought he had and, and, and you know, and become fresh again as he got tired, you know. So um, I think that fight would bring on a lot of attention. It would be something to keep him focused. And it's not as dangerous as the other fights. You know, you can do MMA math and say, you know what, a fighting against Justin Gaethje would probably be the safest, being the fact that he beat Dustin Poirier and the fact that um, Justin Gaethje is very hittable and Connor only really needs a couple hits because he hits so hard. So, you know, those are the kind of matchups that, that you will see. But I think that Nate Diaz is always a fun one for the fans, you know, and getting Connor back to that that legacy level like he, he just proved on, on Saturday I think a fight with Diaz or somebody like that, another celebrity fight, would definitely bring him hot head and shoulders above where he was before going into the it's last. It's an event. interesting thought because, you know, you said mentioned MMA math. Diaz got pretty much handled by Jorge Masvidal, even though, of course, you know, he rallied a bit before that cut. But, you know, does MMA math tell you that Diaz being even less active than Connor? Well, I guess equally as active he fought twice last year but having lost to jorge does that mean connor who beat him last time has an edge i don't know sort of a con for that certainly is the idea that those two match up almost too well that you know connor could take five rounds of damage in that fight that could i guess potentially 
you know, delay or hurt the chances of doing a monster super fight to end the year. But you take those chances in any fight, A. B, you can make the argument that the DS fight is that lottery ticket that you can save if you're UFC until Connor is on the other side of that hill. And you're just sort of like, look, battle for each other. Legends fight. Let's do it. But Rashad, how much do you factor in the whole, hey, you never know if Nate's ever going to fight again. Nate is so damn mercurial that maybe this is the last chance you get super dialed in prime Nate. Yeah, and I agree with that. You know, um, you know, Nate, Nate is uh, he he's hard to read. He's a very hard to read, but there's no doubt in his mind that there's no doubt in my mind that you know he puts in the work and and when he's you know signed to do a fight, he takes it 100 100% serious and he's gonna bring himself. But like you said, you know, um, you know, inactivity hurts us all, and the fact that if Nate is not being active, then then we're we're losing a part of uh that matchup that makes it exciting. So, um. I, I think that I think that the Nate fight would, would be good for Connor no matter what the season is because we know what we're going to get. You know what I'm saying? Those two just make magic happen. And sometimes it's just like that. Sometimes people just bring out the best in each other. And I think that you put these guys in a cage time and time again, you're going to find that magic. Do you think Kamaru Usman, the current welterweight champion, is in this conversation right now? I don't think so, and I think maybe just because of the simple fact that you know it's it's a Habib style, but now you have a much bigger Habib that that you know that hits harder. You know what I'm saying? And a less marketable and, guy compared to the other. Right. Guys. Yeah, and a, and a less marketable guy compared to where Habib is. So, you know, it, it's it's a dangerous fight. I mean, it does give um, Connor the chance to to get another belt, but then at the end of the day, we're still looking at. The fight with him and Habib. Say he, he say for instance, God forbid, he fights, you know, um, uh, um, K Kamaru, and then he beats Kamaru. Then we're still looking at okay, now he's a one seventy pound champ. Now he has to fight Habib. So now we're looking at going right back at the same thing, him and Habib once again. That's a fair point right there because Connor has talked a lot about liking one seventy, and of course Dana was against it. Dana was against it up until a day before the fight when I talked to him, and he was like, "Look, I I think Cowboy's too big. I think all these guys are too big." Now, granted. Dana changed his tune after when he saw how great physically Connor looked. He was explosive. He was quick. All that stuff. 40 seconds. Only so much you can learn. We already established that. But I think the Connor welterweight move is inevitable. So that would mean no hurry to fight Usman. It would kind of be the thing if he didn't have any other options. If he had already lost twice to Habib and you're like, okay, he's never getting that belt. It's sort of the thing where Connor always leaves himself a nice built-in excuse for a loss, you know? Yeah, I reached, absolutely. right? I reached. That's why I'm like, okay, you got to go back and see if you can do Habib once more. It helps that that has the potential to be the biggest fight ever. And then you F around with things like 170 in my view. Now, I do have this asterisk. Connor's a history chaser. He's talking after he beat Cowboy in the interview ad nauseum about how he's the first guy to get knockouts and you know, from featherweight to welterweight, and that's cool. It's a great stat, believe me. But I don't think you can ever count out fully, though, Rashad. And this is why he got in Tyron Woodley's face years ago. The idea of history becoming the first three-division champion. I mean, that's like, look, we're in a watered-down period where you can be a champ-champ, and it might not mean what we thought it might originally mean, and that's not a knock to Henry Cejudo, but I didn't think he necessarily at that early of time should have been given the chance. Jermaine Durandum, he could have been a champ champ a few months ago if things had gone differently. If you become a triple champ, 
I don't know. I feel like if that option's there, you can't count the competitor Connor out though from from leaping at it. Absolutely, I think that he would definitely jump at the opportunity. But um, you know, you would hope that. Uh, I mean, because here's here's the thing about it. You know, he he can jump the line and get a guy like Kamaru and fight somebody like that. But you know. The top of that weight class is filled with guys who, you know, I mean, I feel the guys, but, you know, the other guy is Colby Covington, who fights pretty much the same exact style as Kamaru Usman. You know what I'm saying? So um, how do I, I bring Colby up because it's like, well, you know, um, you want to have him tested before. He, I mean, you want to have some kind of idea how he will be able to do with somebody like a volume striker. So. Ah uh, man, it's 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 kind of hard to if you're if you're really wanting him to you know make a stand for that 170 to put him in a fight like that with Kamaru if you yeah, don't know how he's gonna fight. fare against someone with that pressure. That is a bad fight for him, Rashad. I want to read you some odds that Superbook USA put out for what they believe to be the three clubhouse leaders to get Connor next, and I want you to tell me if you agree with these odds, okay? Conor McGregor plus 60, plus 260, versus Habib minus 330. Mm. Okay. I mean, um, you know, you go back, that first fight was was fairly one-sided. It's hard to it's hard yeah, to argue that. Yeah, it, yeah, I agree. I agree. It's hard to argue that. <laughs> Conor plus 145. Jorge Masvidal minus 170. Now, this is interesting. I feel like the the hardcores that I've talked to or seen on Twitter are just like, oh, Jorge smokes him. But these odds are giving Conor a decent chance in this fight. And and I agree with those chances. I agree with those chances. You know, um, you know, Jorge has been been looking absolutely phenomenal lately, you know, but there's still uh, you know, some some questions, you know what I'm saying? Like when when he, you know, against a guy like Conor, you know, who has you know, a lot of speed and who has a lot of caginess and who's very in a, in, in a, an intelligent fighter himself. So there's the, I, I can see that one for sure. And they closed with Justin Gaethje at even odds for both at minus 110. Hmm, Rashad. Hmm. See, oh man, that, that, I can see that. I can see. But here's the thing about it. I think Justin Gaethje is a lot tougher than they're saying. And especially Justin Gaethje as of late, have you guys noticed the way he's getting at angles and 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 being able to to be the first off when he's off at an angle? You know, a lot of, before he was doing a lot of the fifty fifty trade. I mean, the fact that he stay on the tracks and guys exchange and hit him, he hit the guy, and he was the last guy standing. But now he switched up his his mo, and now he's he's moving and getting to an angle, and he's landing still those powerful shots. And, and really making short work of some guys who we thought that he would have trouble with or to be more of a banging style fight. You know, he's really showing his improvement with his footwork as well with, you know, with his punches. So I do believe that that will be uh, a, a good fight for Justin Gaethje. But here's another thing, though. We let's stop forgetting about Tony Ferguson here. We got to like, come on. Come I'm on, a victim people. of that. Yo, I'm at fault for that. Rashad. Gotta I am stop. this. Tony Ferguson is is Habib's toughest test. Tony Ferguson is, man, he's he's absolutely phenomenal. You know what I'm saying? And we can't overlook what he brings to this whole equation as well, too, because providing that he wins against Habib, that is a heck of a fight for Conor. Like, that is a, whew, 
I mean that that's a fight that that's Nate Diaz on Nate Diaz on steroids you're for t- Conor McGregor, you're, you're, you know? Everybody's on steroids. The whole UFC, <laughs> everybody. Uh, you're damn right. I, I and I need to wake up from this. I'm doing I'm doing Tony Harm. I'm the guy who has Tony Ferguson in my top five pound for pound when nobody else does. And you're I wrote this week of all the matchups. That's the sexiest fight on paper. That's the one fight that would produce the most amount of entertainment. Like I know like the Habib fight offers such a styles clash and such a hatred between them that it's a different kind of fight, but you want to talk about just a straight up bag of bag of bang, right? Just somebody stand oh, yeah. up, right? Let me bang with somebody. That's the type of fight you're going to get with that. And here's another fact. I think Tony's the only guy that can beat this version of Habib except for Connor if he was on his very best day dialed in and he was able to hurt and catch Habib. Outside of that, I think Tony's the only guy who could straight up beat him. Yeah, I agree. You know, Tony brings in a lot of different challenges that um, you know, Habib's gonna have to watch out for. You know, just I mean, his activity level on the ground. You know, you're not just gonna hold him down and just beat the stuffing out of him. You you're gonna have to work. And not only work at just standing position, but stand in position to punch as well as not get caught into any kind of, you know, submission that Tony may have set up two or three moves ago, you know, and that's when and that and that's when it makes being on the ground uncomfortable. And we haven't seen Habib in a position where his takedown works against him, where that by that I mean being on the ground is more uncomfortable than staying on his feet. And sometimes you go against guys like that in a game, like a Damian Maya, you know, a guy who's really good at wrestling. He can wrestle and take Damian down, Maya down pretty easy, but staying in in in, in the uh, in the fire and in in his wheelhouse is a dangerous thing. And I think that's kind of something with Tony Ferguson as well, too. You know, um, so that's why I think that this Tony Ferguson matchup is something that should be brought in this conversation because it's not a foregone conclusion between you know what's going to happen on in April. It's very very interesting. I wonder what. Dana and UFC's thoughts financially it would be. Obviously, Conor versus Tony would do huge business, but would they call an audible if Tony won? Would they go, well, hey, uh, why don't we go back in the direction of Jorge, or why don't we bring in Nate? You never know, man. You know, sometimes people think I protect Conor too much when I talk about his marketing potential, but it's the reality. When you have a cash cow at that level, you have to be careful in how you stare him even though he's not always careful in his own right. Like, right. He took Nate on very short notice, moved up two weight classes. Originally it's who he is. It's, it's a wild future. Rashad, we can't go any further in wrapping up the who's next argument for Connor without bringing the boxers into play. Floyd Mayweather put out on his Instagram account multiple times, a picture of him and Connor sporting the idea of a boxing rematch. Uh, Aaron Bronstetter of TSN, a reporter I respect, actually ran into Floyd after the fight on the strip. Floyd tried to pull that. Oh, I didn't watch the fight. I was out at a show. You know, Floyd does that. He doesn't watch anybody's fights, right? right? right. He's the best. Of, you know, he's like one of the best of all time. But he doesn't watch anybody's fights. Um, and then, of course, Connor talked a lot about Manny Pacquiao. And now freaking Terrence Crawford wants in for a, a one and one, one boxing match and one MMA match because supposedly he's got a wrestling background. First of all, Bob Arum, get off my timeline with that <laughs> Terrence Crawford crap, all right? That ain't happening any day of your lifetime. Rashad, I'm of the belief Connor's third fight this year is going to be a boxing match. But I think you know- it can't be until like December. What are your thoughts overall on, on whether it could be next or not at all in 2020? 
Well, I think it kind of answers what we've been kind of debating about. It's the simple fact that what do we do in Connor in the midterm? You know what I'm saying? If we put him in any kind of MMA match, we run the risk of, you know, you run the risk of, of stalling him out, you know, if something goes terribly wrong. But in a boxing match, the re- results can be what it can be, and it won't affect them in his MMA. So I think that that may be something that makes a lot more sense, providing that Habib wins and providing that the next time that Conor may fight may be in September. You know, See, that's, if, that's... if Ferguson wins, then I think that, you know, you got to go the MMA route. But if Habib wins, then I think you got to go the boxing route. There's such an interesting debate within that, Rashad, and it's this. Who's, who's got bigger strings they're pulling? Who's got the advantage at the negotiation table? We've established nobody has leverage in the history of the sport like Connor, right? He's the biggest straw ever. He's a real smart businessman. He's a killer. But in the ESPN Plus era, it is different. You don't have that same control as a big drawing fighter that you did in the past because UFC is getting a certain level of guarantee from ESPN for each card. If you're Dana and I in WME, IMG, Endeavor, whatever, Endeavor, <laughs> whatever, um, you need him to come back and be MMA next. Even with Rashad, even with Dana's interest in Zufa boxing, you need to capitalize on Connor's momentum within your own brand where you're not splitting revenue with anybody. That's my belief from a business sense. You got to get him as close as you can into the biggest possible fight. So I don't feel like it could be next unless Connor has some kind of way, pull or method at the negotiation table where he can make this work. Well, how how would you, I I can see, I can see what you're saying. And, you know, as far as like them having to share monies and stuff like that, um, but at the same time, you know, it's still Connor, you know, it's still Connor being pushed. I think I think what he did for Mayweather, even though the UFC may have not get, got what they would have normally, I still think it done, has done tremendously in, in the long run for, you know, for the organization and for Connor himself. You know, it, it put MMA in a whole new different ball game. You know, it puts it in, and it brought it to a whole new different level of mainstream. So I think that. Um, I think that you really can't go wrong with it in that respect just because of the simple fact that there's so many different ways that you can capitalize off of Connor in the boxing thing again, and especially the fact that they want to be able to, to, to launch the Zufa boxing and to be able to launch the Zufa boxing with you know uh, someone who is their very own being an MMA fighter is probably something that you know they want to lean highly towards. I don't know. I feel like because they want the Habib fight so bad that in a perfect world for everybody, Connor would fight Habib in August, let's say. I don't know if he wins it or not. And then you'd do the Floyd fight in December. Because here's the deal. Floyd's 43 and not getting any younger. And I and I think that certainly the the weight from the first Maymac fight, I don't think this fight can outsell the first one. And, but I Because it was such a perfect storm. But I do think... The longer you push it to the idea that Floyd's older, Connor's still in his pride, you never know. It's certainly interesting. Anytime Floyd's putting his actual unbeaten record on the line, it's very interesting from a historic standpoint. I don't know. I I don't know what's going to happen, but I, that is in play. This calendar year, Floyd Mayweather is in play, and you cannot argue with that. Yeah, I agree. I think here's what I think. I think that to do it now would make more sense to do it, providing he gets another fight with the B, because if he gets to fight another fight with Habib, it's going to go longer than 40 seconds. 
You know what I'm saying? <laughs> so right now, he's captivated everybody's imagination with the fact that this dude come out there and did something unseen and he's done, you know, knocked the guy out with his with his shoulders. You know what I'm saying? He he's 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 brought that into the conversation. He's brought a sense of, you know, just fascination and 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 what he can do. So I think that this would be the time to strike at that iron with a boxer or someone else out of the discipline because it can capitalize on that versus having him go uh, against a, a Habib or Tony Ferguson. Can't forget Tony Ferguson, you know, and, and who knows what's going to happen in that fight? Who knows how Conor's going to be after that fight physically and mentally because you can get beat and it completely just breaks you mentally. It happens. It happens. Like you can get the stuff and beat out of you where you're just like, you know what? Man, maybe this fighting stuff isn't for me. It happens. <laughs> it can happen. You know what I'm saying? You never know what's going to happen in a fighter's mind. So I think the 42nd one is, a, is the best one to come for him. Uh, what are the uh, potential pitfalls, Rashad, of going back into boxing training in the same calendar year that you could then potentially transition back into MMA in the biggest fight of your career? Is there any right. fear there in mixing the the skill sets and the preparation that you're throwing your, your, uh, your technique and your timing off. Well, I mean, you're, you're fighting at a different range when you're boxing, but at the end of the day, there's a lot of good things that boxing drills does. And there's a lot of attributes that you can translate over well to MMA. I think that it will take a little bit more focus off of his grappling, but I think that's where he went wrong the last time. I think sometimes when you, when a fighter has to fight a fight, another fighter who is strong in one discipline, the biggest mistake that they can make is overemphasizing how much time they spend on trying to focus on stopping that discipline that that guy does well because you, it's, it's paralysis by analysis. And I think that's what happened with Connor last time, paralysis by analysis. So I think it, with boxing, if he was to, to start with boxing, I think it would actually force him to work on it and master what he's really good at and what he's and what he's comfortable at. So I think when when it comes down to it, if he providing that Habib is the guy he fights, I think doing boxing first will make him feel more comfortable in a stand up range and be able to land some of those shots where we've seen in the first fight. He just wasn't that sharp and he just wasn't, you know, he, he wasn't on point with the striking in the first fight, you know, so yeah. this may be help him get a better foothold in his realm of fighting. I just feel like Manny Pacquiao is a bad matchup for him. And oh, it yeah, always will day. be. There's a weight difference. So they'd have to figure out a middle ground. Pacquiao's speed and angles are just, if you're an amateur and that's what Connor is as a boxer, basically uh, you don't, you can't mess with that. And in, in, in that, and I don't say that to disrespect Floyd. We just know what Floyd is. He's the, such an Uber defensive uh, star and counter puncher that it's just a different animal. Yeah, and that's the thing. Manny's going to bring some pressure that a lot of fighters just can't handle. You know, you can handle it for maybe one or two rounds, but then after the, after a while, it just feels like you're getting jumped by three people because Manny's all over you. You know, and I think that's something that Conor really has never experienced. And I think um, with with boxing, uh, there's so many there, there's there's so much that there's so much that he doesn't know. You know, and, and, and the fact that Manny can just overwhelm him with volume and then still implement some of those angles and some of those things that Connor don't know and make it a really rough night for him. 
By the way, the ball again, the ball's on Bob Arum. Terrence Crawford, uh, I love him. He might be the best boxer in the game. Seriously, he might be the pound for pound best, but the guy had a pay-per-view with American and moved like a hundred thousand buys. So can we stop? Please stop that. Uh all right. <laughs> look, we've been going on forever about Connor, but I do want to close and circle back to Jorge. Rashad, I'm not giving this fight the attention, the possibilities, the excitement that seemingly, like I mentioned, 70% of the world is. I want you to, to, to talk me into why this actually could be next and why it might need to be next. What am I missing here that from a protector of Connor's overall value and brand, as if I'm in the UFC war room or a stockholder, but what am I missing on why this isn't smart to go next in the Masvidal direction? Um, I mean, well, I mean, Masvidal is very dangerous. Uh, but, but, um, you know, there, there's a hungry champion at 170 that needs to be fed. And there's a, a, a contender in Jorge Masvidal that has a lot of hype around him and his hype around him, you know, he's already proven himself with the BMF belt and just his, you know, great run this year. But, you know, there, there needs to be something more like, I think getting him in a position to potentially become or, or fight fight Kamaru and be, potentially become a champion, it says it has more of a value for the UFC versus if he was just a fighting with the BMF belt. Imagine if he, imagine you know what I'm saying? Imagine if, you know, he fight Usman and, you know, God forbid, he, he beats U, U, Usman and then he's a champion and then now he is a BMF champion and the 170-pound champion. Now that, that matchup with Conor and and Jorge is a lot more appealing, and then you have you know Connor set up for his an historic event to become the BMF champion and a three division champion. You know, one seventy. So God, that's huge. Yeah, there, there. I mean, if Masvidal ends up your welterweight champion, that would be woo. Connor Masvidal would be some serious business with the historical elements at play, and I think that's just what this fight is missing at the BMF level. Other people are like, shut up. We want violence. We want personalities. We want Tony Montana to send Connor to hell. You may get that if it happens. Uh, we didn't forget about Cowboy, but Rashad, this is very disappointing. Uh, it did nothing to dispel the idea that this man can't win the big one. The idea that at 36, um, I know he just signed a six-fight deal. I know he said he wants to fight basically forever. He has no signs of slowing down. But look, three straight, somewhat devastating knockouts against... Uh, you know, elite competition. Um, I'm starting to get the fear because I know how Cowboy is wired that we have like another Chuck Liddell, BJ Penn on our hands where they may have to step in. Oh, man. Um, I don't know. It, it, for me, it's a, it's a bit early to say that just because of the fact that who he's faced in his last three fights. You know, he, he didn't face any chumps in his last three fights. They were definitely worthy contenders. I think we start to enter that conversation when he's getting beat by guys who are just making their way through the ranks. You know, I think we still have a few more fights before we get there. But um, on the fight, man, it, it just looks like, you know, Cowboys, the nature of, of the way he starts his fight, it, it got it got the better of him. You know, just coming out there being a little bit slow and just being caught off guard just by the fast starting Connor with um, with that big 
overhand left to start things out the gate. You know what I'm saying? Just to set it off, here's a punch in your mouth. And you have to wonder, was Cowboy looking to dap up? Like, you know, still thinking we're friends, we're boys, you know what I'm saying? <laughs> we're not friends, was he yeah. looking to dap? And then and the next thing you know, you started getting rained on. I don't know. But, um, you know, I just, I, I feel bad for him because to have the records that he has and to be the legend that he is um, and to not win that big one, that has to hurt, you know what I'm saying? But you can never uh, not hold him in such high regard just because of what he's accomplished. But, you know, at the same time, just like, man, if he, you know, I wish he would have won that big one. I really did. And Indeed. I thought, and I, and I really start, I really talked myself into the fact that maybe there, there might be an upset going to happen. You know how I did it? I was thinking, <laughs> because I heard, I heard Connor talking about, you know, how he worked with Tony Robbins. And I was like, okay, Tony Robbins. Then it hit me. I'm like, okay, what happens? Tony Robbins worked with Shallow Hal, right? The reverse, he's happened. You know, next thing you know, Shallow Hal, he was liking girls that were totally different than his than his taste. Like, you know what I'm saying? Before he liked girls who <laughs> were superficially hot, and now he started liking girls who were hot in different ways. Their personality, you know, they weren't the best looking. So I thought maybe he did the reverse. He's on on Connor because we this. seen Connor sitting at the at the press conference, and Connor was just you know so cordial, so nice, and just a different kind of energy, like completely opposite. So I'm like, you know what? He's going to go out on Saturday and look like crap, but he didn't. I agree. That fear was real of, of, was he too nice? Was it, you know, and, but a hell of a PR job by Connor. Good. I mean, like Rashad, even if you knew, and we don't know, but even if you knew and you're like, Hey, BC, don't get fooled. 75% of that was BS. They're just trying to get people to not talk about sexual assault allegations. Even if that were true, it was a masterful PR job because I saw people that I know for years in the MMA game who hate them, some Conor McGregor, and even they were like, yo, man, if he if he acts like this more often, he might be my favorite fighter. And I'm like, whoa, whoa, okay, okay. I mean, he won over some hearts here, Rashad. Uh, I mean, he won over some serious hearts. I mean, to the point where in the press conference, you, you heard Cowboy even defending in them you know no stop talking about those allegations you know what's wrong with you you know what i'm saying but because he he endeared everybody to the point uh just because he was just he was just so unlike himself you know and and, and honestly speaking if if connor did uh act like that he would win so, um, so many more fans so many so many fans but at the same time the reason why we like connor is because connor he he keeps it he keeps it real you know what i'm saying rather, rather it's to his whether it's to his, his detriment or to his success he just he just he just does it you know indeed it's a compelling i, I talked about this on the the ia pod it's a it's like a reality show it, it's it's so compelling the way very few superstars and pro athletes are able to do this and in combat sports you know you think of the ali's the tysons the mayweathers when they're, they're so raw and real that there's times that you love them. There's times that you hate them. There's times that they just live in that gray area. We don't know if they're heroes or villains, but they're always, they're always putting it out there. They're, they're living life in the public eye. And it's, it's so compelling the way, the way Connor has done that. So even if, again, even if you're the most cynical person, when you hear him after the fight, talk about, the reason why he, he looks so great is because he went back to doing all those little things again and that he got a big head and he thought, you know, on his reputation alone, he could survive. I mean, 
we can all kind of relate to that in certain areas of our life. You know what I mean? You you stop eating oh, yeah. good. You stop going to the gym. You know, you, yeah. you, you, you start cheating on your taxes. You start doing the little things and the foundation crumbles. And uh, it's hard, love them or hate them, not to be enthralled on the day-to-day journey that is following Connor. Absolutely. And one thing that I, I kind of picked up from this whole talk this week is that you, you, you got a real sense of, of him just being an advocate of the fact that it's okay to fall down in life. It's okay to to have those moments in life where you don't shine the best, where things are not going your way, because with the right mindset, you can make it through it. You know, and I, and I think that's what I pulled away out of out of everything he was saying this weekend, and it really kind of, um, you know, kind of it, it kind of made me feel different about about Connor, to be honest. You know, uh, I, I liked Connor, but now I, I, you know, I'm more I'm, I'm I like him a little bit more after watching them this weekend. Indeed, indeed. Uh, other headlines from UFC 246. There weren't many, Rashad. Not a deep card. Uh, Holly Holm gets the, gets a much-needed win against Raquel Pennington in the rematch, but I don't know if I'm going to be here to say anything nice about that fight or that performance. Uh, I know Holly avoided damage, but that's the, the theme of the fight. She avoided everything. I don't feel like she even won this fight. I mean, what what was I missing, Rashad? I felt it was almost like a, hey, th- this fight sucked. It's a draw, okay? Go back to the drawing board. Well, I thought I thought that she she fought her fight. She fought her fight. I think that what happened was she kind of prevented Raquel from fighting her fight. And 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 it happens sometimes when someone fights or do something that you're you're you really have no answer for, then you get frustrated, and then you don't. Then you start getting your own head, and you start you stop going for things that that work best for you. And I think that's what we started to see happening with Raquel. Raquel didn't, she, um, she didn't really force the action as far as from the standpoint where, you know, the grappling on the cage, she wasn't really forcing any of those kind of clinch situations or, or those kind of situations that gave her the best chance of success. You know, she kind of got frustrated with the way that Holly was fighting and it just kind of stayed there, you know? And I think that's where, you know, you've seen a look of frustration on her face where she's just like, man, I, I couldn't get off. And it's not that she couldn't get off. It's just that she didn't feel comfortable enough to get off because Holly was doing something that she she couldn't answer for. And and I think that's what, um, you know, when you have when you have a fighter like that and, and, and they start getting in your head, you got to be able to hit that reset button. Like, hey, OK, she's doing this. This is what we're going to do right now. But it didn't seem like Raquel was able to, to hit that other gear. Yeah, I agree that it, it it unfortunately exposed Raquel for not having any kind of plan B or or ability to to explode through that. But uh, you know, Holly was very hard on herself afterwards, so I thought that was good for her to say, "Look, I, I needed to do a lot more." But she did control with that uh, the in the grappling and the clinch along the fence. It's just the fans did not want to see that, and they got booed the heck no. out of there. I think the other big storyline, Rashad, was. Uh, Shout out to 37-year-old Roxanne Modafferi. She was supposed to be the lamb in Macy Barber's slaughter to the title shot to try to break John Jones's record, and she humbled the ish out of this 21-year-old brawling sensation. Man, she beat the dog piss out of her, and it was it was something that I didn't even foresee happening. Just because, I mean, I love Roxanne because she's so quirky and and she's so in her she's so herself. You know what I'm saying and and her her journey in the UFC is, is one that I respect. You know, uh, being in UFC, getting cut, coming back, and then making this run that she's 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 made uh, since she's been back. But 
in this run since she's been back, she's proven that she's she's grown so much as, as a person and as a mixed martial artist and to be able to go out there and meet the intensity of somebody like Macy Barber. Because Macy was one of the most intense fighters out there. I'm like, man, this girl, she fights with a different kind of intensity than I see all the other girls fighting. But the way that Roxanne fought, I mean, first and foremost, from a stand-up point of view, and that was always Roxanne's biggest thing that that just made her like, ah, uh, she she's not at that level. But on Saturday, her stand-up was crisp. You know, her, her jab was great. She got behind her punches. She moved her feet along with her punches. She she wasn't, you know, she had great movement coming inside. She had great transitions to get into the positions that she wanted to get into. And it's something that you you, you wouldn't typically have thought that you would ever see out of Roxanne, but to see her go out there and do that was phenomenal. That's that's why that's a that was a fantastic, thorough performance. And I think for for Macy, she needed that. I mean, it would have been great rushing her into a Valentina Shevchenko fight from the standpoint of, you know, we're going to find out right now how good she is. You know, can she do this? Can she set a record? But you saw right there, I know she overcame a lot of injuries to be able to finish that fight, but ground game, just she just didn't have a she didn't have a, an ability to 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 alter whatever Roxy wanted to do. And that that's where those years of experience. I mean, that stat was was mind numbing. Roxy turned now Roxy's a pioneer. We know that. But she turned pro right. in 2003 uh, when uh, Macy was five years old. So, you know, that experience, that difference there was wild in the end. Uh, Rashad, anything else stand out to you from two, two four, six? Because I love me some Askar Askarov out of Dagestan. He put it on Tim Tim Elliott at flyweight. And considering he was fresh off that draw with Brandon Marino, which was an absolute brawl. I need some more. You know, ask me about Askar Askarov because this guy comes to bang. And we find out he's like basically 80% deaf. He's a wrestler yeah. who loves to throw his hands. I'm down with that. I love that. I love that. That was, that was a great fight, man. I'm trying to think who else I, uh, I've seen a great fighter. You know, I forget sometimes with the, these fights afterwards. Um, who had a good one? Oh, Hawk Paras, the, that, that man, that was. That was something else, man. That was something else. And the um, the Hawk Paras fight, who was it? He he lost to Drew Dober, who looked yeah, he like he lost a, to Drew Dober. Who looked I, like a I million did. bucks. Called out the top ten. Said I'll knock out any lightweight. I was like, whoa, bro. I, I, whoa. I couldn't I couldn't believe the performance by by Dober, man. That was that was something that was something I didn't foresee. Just because of the simple fact that I, I I'm, a, I'm a big Nazarat Hawk Paras fan. Like I'm like this kid. Has something special, you know. Little Geshlem is gonna be something one day, you know what I'm saying? He's gonna be that dude. But Dover was like, uh, uh-uh, no way. And, and amazing fight. Good. What a what a what an event. Even though it wasn't really that loaded, certainly the Connor uh, highlight carried it all. But now we roll on. You got that big John Jones card in Houston in February. You got Adesanya Romero being official for the for that. Las Vegas card in March that also figure, features Weili Zhang and Boogie Woman. Then you go into Habib Tony in April. I like me. I like me some uh, some UFC, UFC big business right now, Rashad. I'm very, very fired up. Uh, I want to get your take on this weekend. We'll get to Bellator in a minute. They've got the card of the weekend without question. But we have a UFC fight night from Raleigh, North Carolina on ESPN Plus on Saturday. Main event, Curtis Blades and Junior Dos Santos. Uh... Who do you like here? What's at stake? What do you got for me? Man, this is this is a good one, man. Um, Curtis Blades is is really trying to, uh, I guess, solidify himself as 
as one of those top dogs in a weight class. The only way he can really do that is by beating somebody who's been one of the top dogs in the weight class. And JDS um, is he's always clutch. He's always game. You know, even even when he goes out there and and he doesn't uh, get it done, you know that he has the danger to get it done because he has an amazing left hook and and a big right hand. You know what I'm saying? So. It's gonna be a, it's gonna be a good fight, and especially a Junior DeSanto who's uh, who's rested. You know, a, a good rested Junior DeSantos is a very dangerous Junior DeSantos. You know, and I think you know w- with his with all those epic battles that he had with with Kane, you know, it does take a lot on your body, and you're seeing the effects of it now because he's not as active as he used to be. But when I find when Junior DeSantos has his time off, this is when we see the best Junior. But Indeed. I mean. Uh, this fight's interesting to me because Blades, outside of the two Francis Ngannou losses, and the first one he was in that fight, by the way, you know, he took him down a ton. He's he's beating everybody. He's looked great. And then you got JDS, the legend, who's coming off of a knockout loss to Francis Ngannou in which he, he went for it. This That was his chance to return to the title picture. So we're going to find out if Junior's still got something left in this division, which has been, look, heavyweight's easy to reinvent yourself because it's always a shallow group. You can linger late in your career and age, but JDS could be at an interesting crossroads here if he suffered a loss. We'll see if Blades can make himself a title contender. My favorite fight, though, is the co-main event at welterweight. Rafael mm-hmm. Dos Anjos and a seemingly reborn Michael Chiesa, who's 2-0 since moving up to welterweight and fairly dominant wins when he submitted Carlos Condit and took it at Diego Sanchez. If he takes out RDA, who seems to be on the other side of that hill after a great run. But God, every time I say that about RDA, he proves me wrong. Are we looking at a potential title contender in in Chiesa? I think so. I think so. And just because of the fact that Chiesa has such a, for one, his body, you know, he's got this, this long linky body that aids him so much in what he's best at with his grappling. But then he has a a pretty good, sneaky, good standup, you know, And, and it's always tough going against guys who has, sneaky good stand-up and, and he's one of those guys so um the efficiency in the striking the efficiency in all of his positions you know that, that that's one thing that Kiesa does really well and I think that in this weight class at 170 having a guy like you know like Kiesa who can do everything pretty well you know is a dangerous combination and I don't want to disrespect the great name of Rafael Dos Santos he is entering this fight having lost three of four that Kevin Lee wins sandwiched in between. But obviously, you want to talk about elite losses. It's to Colby. It's to Camaro. It's to Leon Edwards. He's 35. Again, I love these type of fights because this is his opportunity to remind us who he is and, and stay in that discussion. But Rashad, is this is this a time that we should put our hands together here for RDA, a guy who, former champion, doesn't always get a ton of love? But you look at that resume, dude. Two wins over Donald Cerrone. Wins over Benson Henderson, Nate Diaz, Anthony Pettis, Robbie Lawler, Neil Magny, George Sotteropoulos back when that used to be a thing. That's a hell of a resume right there. <laughs> it, it really is. And the thing with Rafael Dos Anjos is the fact that, you know, when he's in full fighting uh, momentum and full fighting, um, I guess, uh, full fighting mindset, you know, when he's doing his best, um, is when he's landing the takedown. You know, he's bringing pressure forward and he's not forgetting about his takedowns. The fights where he's lost a fight, you know, with, with Colby and, and against Usman and those guys, you know, he, he got he got uh, 
he got dominated with the wrestling standpoint. Even though he did take down Colby, you know, I think in that fight it was a little too late. Uh, but he showed that, you know, with the fact that he was when when he was able to take Colby down, he was able to implement his other skills on top of that too. So I think the big thing for Rafael Dos Anjos is the fact that he has to land a takedown. He has to be a a a fighter who strikes on his feet, but also does not forget to end combinations down with the shot. When he was champion, that's how he beat uh, Showtime Pettis with that combination. You know, punching up top, takedown all day. That's the UFC Fight Night card. A couple other names of note. Nothing too serious on the rest of that undercard. But we move on to Bellator 238. Inglewood, California, the forum. And Inglewood's going to be up to no good, Rashad exclusively on DAZN, you want to talk about a sneaky, good-ass card that I it just snuck up on me. Main event, women's featherweight title bout. Chris Cyborg makes her Bellator debut against a champion in Julia Budd who I never give the proper respect when you consider what she's done at age 36. Hasn't lost since 2011. And oh, by the way, her 13-2 record, you know who those two losses are to, to Rashad? Maybe the two greatest women's fighters of all time in Amanda Nunes and Ronda Rousey back in her first four pro fights. She's been on one hell of a consistent run through Invicta, through Bellator. This is is not an easy fight to pick on paper. No, it is not. Um, and especially coming in for, for, uh, for Chris. You know, she, she's got all the pressure on her. You know, for Bud, uh, all she has to do is go out there and, and just be herself, and you know, and and I think the fact that you you when someone loses like Chris, and you've seen them, you know, get knocked off that pedestal, it, it takes it takes a lot off of the way you know the amount of respect that you give, the fear that you have going into the fight, and it makes it almost like, oh yeah, I, I got this, I I can definitely do this, and I think that's the situation that we're facing with Chris Cyborg in in, in this Bud fight. You know, Bud is going to be going to this fight knowing that she can beat. Uh, Chris Cyborg, where before girls are already beat before they even got into the octagon. Indeed. And Cyborg's now, I don't know how Cyborg is only 34 years old. Rashad, she's been in our lives for friggin' ever. <laughs> but she's. I know. <laughs> she's only 34. What? She's going to make the Bellator debut here. We've seen her shine in, what, Strike Force, Invicta, UFC. Fresh off of that fight with F F Felicia Spencer last July at UFC 240, in which she took the unanimous decision, but she got she got lit up a few times. That was a very interesting fight. Um, I don't know here. Bud has been steady. She's a strong kickboxer. If Cyborg's still Cyborg, you gotta favor her in this fight. What happens when it goes to the ground, though? Who do you like? See, here's the thing. I I was never. I've never been a fan of Cyborg on the ground. I thought that she had a lot of holes on the ground. I think that she rushes to position a lot just to kind of, you know, uh, land some ground to pound. So I, I think I'm, I don't know, man. I'm gonna say Bud. Yeah, this... I'm gonna say Bud just because of the fact that I don't, I don't, I don't, I'm not a fan of Chris Cyborg's work ethic on the ground. It would be a big boom for Bellator for sure if Cyborg comes in and wins this title. Very marketable, still brings the fans. The other draw on this card is obviously uh, this featherweight Grand Prix will roll on. These are two of the best matchups this tournament mm -hmm. has to offer. Your co-main event, Darian Caldwell against 365's own Adam Boric, the unbeaten Hungarian future superstar. Rashad, this is one hell of a style matchup. Injection, put it in me. 
It sure is, man. And Borox has been looking absolutely amazing in the gym. I mean, this this kid, just to watch him, you know, go at the pace that he goes in the gym is one thing. And and watching him spar, oh man, he, there, there's this um this kickboxer in the gym, really high level kickboxer, and just to watch uh, Borox and him go at it, it's just it, it's like a pay per view event. You you want to you want to record it, but it, it's that level of training, that level of intensity that allows a kid to, to go in these fights and just feel so comfortable because he's being battle-tested like that in, in training. You know, I think that this, should, this is going to be a very tough fight for him, but I think this is one that he gets past. The 26-year-old is 14-0. and 0. Speaking of the kid, Adam Boric, uh, we, we, I first learned of him when he beat Aaron Pico. Come out and... and decisively won that first round matchup in the featherweight tourney against Pat Curran, knocking him out in round two. We've got Darian Caldwell fresh off of the win over Henry Corrales in that first round matchup. This is big business here. This is going to be fun. Sergio Pettis as well, Rashad, making his Bellator debut in a Bantamweight bout against Alfred Kishakian. We're going to go with that. Kishaki. <laughs> uh, what kind of upside is, is left here for Sergio Pettis? He's still so damn young, 26 years old. Yes, he's the former champ's younger brother. What, 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 kind of, what kind of noise can he make in Bellator? I think he can make some noise, and I think that um, he can kind of, you know, get into an area where he's, he's you know, he, he's doing it uh, – not under the wings of his brother, you know, he, he can kind of solidify himself in a new organization and become that guy, you know, and I think that, you know, Sergio, 26 years old, uh, and, and has learned a lot about himself in the UFC and, and just the trials and tribulations that he's been in the UFC competing with these guys at such a young age. And I think these are the kind of things that is, is going to make it. So when he goes to, to, to Bellator, he's not going there with that like as a kid, you know, he's coming in like, okay, I'm a top dog. I'm a UFC veteran. I've been on a bigger stage, you know, and I think that's the kind of confidence that we were missing in Sergio that would have made him a champion in the UFC. Indeed, indeed. Be good to see how he bounces back there. I mentioned another featherweight Grand Prix. It's actually between two guys who lost in the first round. It's Henry Corrales against Juan Archuleta. Interested in that fight. Aaron Pico, though, he'll main event the preliminary card. And it's a very interesting time for Pico here, Rashad. We've been up and down the road on this 23-year-old. They called him the brightest prospect in MMA history, but he's 4-3. and three. He got stopped by Boric in June of last year, was stopped by Henry Corrales the fight before in January. We all remember when he lost his pro debut. I liked the wrestling that he started to show against Boric. It seemed like he was turning that corner and relying back on his strengths. Uh, how nervous are you, though? How nervous are you that he'll never put it together? This is not the start we would have guessed. Yeah, I am, man, because I, I like the kid, and I think that he has so much potential, you know, but it, it's all about, you know, him understanding when to transition from punching to striking to where he is, you know, got the biggest strength at, you know, and I think that going to um, going to your strengths is – is what makes fighting easy. You know, it makes fighting easy. It makes fighting fun. When when you start to get too far off in the striking and stuff like that, even though he is proficient in striking, he's just not at the level of the guys that he's striking against, you know? And and I think the only way to, to really do that is, is what I did a lot of times. You know, I wasn't the best striker a lot of times with the guys who I fought, but I would strike enough 
just so I get the guy to strike with me. And that's all I wanted to do is get him to strike with me. When he started to strike with me, that's when I would go underneath. And then once I landed the takedown, he was always going to be in fear of me going underneath. So then the way he struck was a little bit different. So then it allowed me to become the better striker because he was worried about my takedowns. I think Aaron Pico needs to implement more of that and just make it more of a cerebral thing instead of just like, you know, what do I do when I get out here, you know? Yeah, I mean, three-round featherweight bout against Daniel Carey in front of him. Obviously, it's set up for him to bounce back and look good. So you basically need him to make Daniel Carey skip to his loo, Rashad? Basically. (laughs) And you will skip to my loo. All right, all right. Uh, the only other the sound bites. Yeah, Curtis Melender will make his uh, debut with Bellator. He got cut by the UFC as well. Are you woke on kickboxing legend Raymond Daniels at 39? He's going to have a fight oh, on this yeah. main oh, card yeah. against oh, Jason yeah. King. He has only two MMA fights under his belt, the first in 2008, and then he came back last year and won his Bellator debut. Uh, this, this is always fun to watch when somebody in one discipline builds such a name for so long. You know, almost I'm I'm remembering a uh, Kung Lee, for example. Yes, yes, yes. San Chow, the San Chow. I used to, I used to love to watch Kung Lee do his thing, but you know, uh, um, Raymond Daniels is somebody who I follow on Instagram, and uh, you know, to to I'm a, I'm a such a big fan of just guys who can move like that, man. You know, that Taekwondo and the way that he sets everything up and the way that. His legs move. Man, it's so pretty, man. It's just beautiful. It's beautiful to watch the way he, that he fights, you know. And I wish that, um, you know, he would have been able to uh, get more into MMA when he was younger because it would have been something to see, you know, a young Raymond Daniels against some of the best guys in you, uh, best guys in MMA. Indeed, 35-3 and three kickboxing record. Only losses to the very elite and glory household names like Nikki Holtzkin and Joseph Valentini. So, um Valtellini, I'm sorry. Todd Grisham's uh, uh, announced partner there on Glory, Joseph Valtellini. But, uh, yeah, interested in that as well. Should be a fun weekend as the Connor era is back. It continues. The state of combat era continues to own you and take over your life with the finest mixed martial arts and boxing audio. Rashad, will you uh, you going to be back in the booth anytime soon? Yeah, I'm actually going to be back uh, this weekend. I'll be in Raleigh working with my boy. Anthony Smith. I love it. <laughs> I love it. On the ESPN Plus broadcast. Who hosts that little jam with you? It's going to be uh, Karen Bryant. All right. All right. Shout out to Karen Bryant, a MMA veteran. Indeed, they can follow the Hall of Famer at Sugar Rashad Evans on Twitter, right? Absolutely. Indeed. And on Instagram. Peep his Instagram pics. Uh, can we close with a uh, life update, Rashad? You're going to fight again? What's going on here? The people he, care. I know. I know. I've been getting in shape. Uh, I've been saying it for a while. I've been getting in shape. Um, I am in shape. I'm ready to go. Uh, I'm just waiting for the right opportunity to, to come. Uh, if it doesn't happen, then it wasn't meant to be. But uh, I'm feeling I'm feeling it. I'm feeling myself again. I'm feeling the excitement of training. I'm feeling the excitement of uh, of getting in there and, uh, you know, getting roughed up a little bit or whatever the case may be. I'm excited to just to compete again. And um, it, it's it's one of those things that you know, once you go through the whole cycle of competing where you, you wanted to compete and then you got to the point where you didn't want to compete and then now you're back at the place you want to compete again, I think that's that's a good place to be just because you, you went through the whole emotional process of it, you know? And I think having went through the whole emotional process of it, I'm ready to go back out there and compete with a different mindset. Are you going to let Sam Alvey continue to walk this globe telling people he beat you by split decision when he really didn't? I mean, come on, right? <laughs> 
<laughs> oh my gosh! You know what? That's that's what you have. That's the price that I have to pay. It, it's uh, it, it's a tough road to work. You walk. You know, uh, having those losses that. Yeah, I know. I didn't. I, I didn't mean to bring up bad memories. Nah, it, yeah, it's, it's it's all right. This man once beat Force Griffin for the two hundred five pound title. All right, take that, <laughs> take that. All right, Machida hits like a bitch. We all know that. Okay, hey, great show this week for Sugar Rashad Evans. Brandon Wise will be back for our great super producer Mikey Mormile. It's your boy BC signing off. I got two words for you out there. We out. <laughs>